This is day 174 of our daily Bible reading. We will be completing Hosea chapters 3 through 7. Lord Heavenly Father, you are our God. You are our Heavenly Father, and we are your bride. Lord God, you have made a covenant with us, a covenant of peace, a covenant of eternal love. Lord, you have asked us to be obedient to you, to be faithful to you, and to put you above all things. And in exchange, you have promised peace and prosperity for us. Lord, we are not faithful to you always, much like Israel was not faithful to you. Lord, often we go off on our own and we satisfy our own lusts and our own desires and conveniently put you away when it's not beneficial to us, or so we think. But Lord, may you cause us to repent. May you cause us to understand the significance of this, as well as the weight of our sin, how costly and heavy it is to make a decision like that. Please bless this time as we enter into your word. May we see that through the prophet. In Jesus' name, amen. Then the Lord said to me, Go again, love a woman who is loved by her husband, yet an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the sons of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love raisin cakes. So I bought her for myself for fifteen shekels of silver and a homer and a half of barley. Then I said to her, You shall stay with me for many days. You shall not play the harlot, nor shall you have a man, so I will also be toward you. So the sons of Israel will remain for many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or sacred pillar, and without ephod or household idols. Afterward, the sons of Israel will return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they will come trembling to the Lord and to his goodness in the last days. Listen to the word of the Lord, O sons of Israel, for the Lord has a case against the inhabitants of the land, because there is no faithfulness or kindness or knowledge of God in the land. There is swearing, deception, murder, stealing, and adultery. They employ violence so that bloodshed follows bloodshed. Therefore the land mourns, and everyone who lives in it languishes along with the beasts of the field and the birds of the sky, and also the fish of the sea, disappear. Yet let no one find fault, and let none offer reproof. For your people are like those who contend with the priest. So you will stumble by day, and the prophet also will stumble with you by night, and I will destroy your mother. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge, because you have rejected knowledge. I also will reject you from being my priest, since you have forgotten the law of your God. I also will forget your children. The more they multiplied, the more they sinned against me. I will change their glory into shame. They feed on the sin of my people and direct their desire toward their iniquity. And it will be like people, like priests. So I will punish them for their ways and repay them for their deeds. They will eat 
but not have enough. They will play the harlot, but not increase, because they have stopped giving heed to the Lord. Harlotry, wine, and new wine take away the understanding. My people consult their wooden idol, and their diviner's wand informs them. For a spirit of harlotry has led them astray, and they have played the harlot, departing from their God. They offer sacrifices on the top of the mountains, and burn incense on the hills, under oak, poplar, and terebinth, because their shade is pleasant. Therefore your daughters play the harlot, and your brides commit adultery. I will not punish your daughters when they play the harlot, or your brides when they commit adultery. For the men themselves go apart with harlots, and offer sacrifices with temple prostitutes. So the people, without understanding, are ruined. Though you, Israel, play the harlot, do not let Judah become guilty. Also, do not go to Gilgal, or go up to Beth-Avon, and take the oath, as the Lord lives. Since Israel is stubborn, like a stubborn heifer, can the Lord now pasture them like a lamb in a large field? Ephraim is joined to idols. Let him alone. Their liquor gone, they play the harlot continually. Their rulers dearly love shame. The wind wraps them in its wings, and they will be ashamed because of their sacrifices. Hear this, O priests. Give heed, O house of Israel. Listen, O house of the king, for the judgment applies to you. For you have been a snare at Mizpah, and a net spread out on Tabor. The revolters have gone deep in depravity, but I will chastise all of them. I know Ephraim, and Israel is not hidden from me. For now, O Ephraim, you have played the harlot. Israel has defiled itself. Their deeds will not allow them to return to their God, for a spirit of harlotry is within them, and they do not know the Lord. Moreover, the pride of Israel testifies against him, and Israel and Ephraim stumble in their iniquity. Judah also has stumbled with them. They will go with their flocks and herds to seek the Lord, but they will not find him. He has withdrawn from them. They have dealt treacherously against the Lord, for they have borne illegitimate children. Now the new moon will devour them with the land. Blow the horn at Gibeah, the trumpet in Ramah. Sound an alarm in Beth-Avon. Behind you, Benjamin! Ephraim will become a desolation in the day of rebuke. Among the tribes of Israel I declare what is sure. The princes of Judah have become like those who move a boundary. On them I will pour out my wrath like water. Ephraim is oppressed, crushed in judgment because he has determined to follow man's command. Therefore, I am like a moth to Ephraim, and like rottenness to the house of Judah. When Ephraim saw his sickness, and Judah his wound, then Ephraim went to Assyria, and sent to King Jerob. But he was unable to heal you, or to cure you of your wound. For I will be like a lion to Ephraim, and like a young lion to the house of Judah. 
I, even I, will tear to pieces and go away. I will carry away, and there will be none to deliver. I will go away and return to my place, until they acknowledge their guilt and seek my face. In their affliction they will earnestly seek me. Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us, but he will heal us. He has wounded us, but he will bandage us. He will revive us after two days. He will raise us up on the third day, that we might live before him. So let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. His going forth is as certain as the dawn, and he will come to us like the rain, like the spring rain watering the earth. What shall I do with you, O Ephraim? What shall I do with you, O Judah? For your loyalty is like a morning cloud, and like the dew which goes away early. Therefore I have hewn them in pieces by the prophets. I have slain them by the words of my mouth, and the judgments on you are like the light that goes forth. For I delight in loyalty rather than sacrifice, and in the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. But like Adam, they have transgressed the covenant. There they have dealt treacherously against me. Gilead is a city of wrongdoers, tracked with bloody footprints. And as raiders wait for a man, so a band of priests murder on the way to Shechem. Surely they have committed crime. In the house of Israel I have seen a horrible thing. Ephraim's harlotry is there. Israel has defiled itself. Also, O Judah, there is a harvest appointed for you when I restore the fortunes of your people. When I would heal Israel, the iniquity of Ephraim is uncovered, and the evil deeds of Samaria, for they deal falsely. The thief enters in, bandits raid outside, and they do not consider in their hearts that I remember all their wickedness. Now their deeds are all around them, they are before my face. With their wickedness they make the king glad, and the princes with their lies. They are all adulterers, like an oven heated by the baker, who ceases to stir up the fire, from the kneading of the dough until it is leavened. On the day of our king the princes became sick with the heat of wine. He stretched out his hand with scoffers. For their hearts are like an oven as they approach their plotting. Their anger smolders all night. In the morning it burns like a flaming fire. All of them are hot like an oven, and they consume their rulers. All their kings have fallen. None of them calls on me. Ephraim mixes himself with the nations. Ephraim has become a cake not turned. Strangers devour his strength, yet he does not know it. Gray hairs also are sprinkled on him, yet he does not know it. Though the pride of Israel testified against him, yet they have not returned to the Lord their God, nor have they sought him 
for all this. So Ephraim has become like a silly dove without sense. They call to Egypt. They go to Assyria. When they go, I will spread my net over them. I will bring them down like the birds of the sky. I will chastise them in accordance with the proclamation to their assembly. Woe to them, for they have strayed from me. Destruction is theirs, for they have rebelled against me. I would redeem them, but they speak lies against me, and they do not cry to me from their heart. When they wail on their beds for the sake of new grain and new wine, they assemble themselves. They turn away from me, although I trained and strengthened their arms. Yet they devise evil against me. They turn, but not upward. They are like a deceitful bow. Their princes will fall by the sword because of the insolence of their tongue. This will be their derision in the land of Egypt. You see, much shorter today. Well, let's explore what's going on here. So we got the overarching theme yesterday, that this is how God is seeing the relationship between him and Israel as being a husband-wife covenantal relationship, since he does have a covenant with them. And Israel has been an unfaithful wife and has prostituted herself to the nations around them and to idols. So that's the overarching theme, but let's dig in a little bit deeper. So we see in chapter 3 that God is calling Hosea to go love a woman who is loved by her husband. Isn't he already married? So is God calling him to love another woman, like to have a, a fling or to be unfaithful to his harlot wife? No, not at all. In fact, this is referring to the same woman, because his wife, if you remember her name, is Gomer. She no longer considered herself as the wife of Hosea, but she went back to her old ways. She went back to her prostituting ways, and she was unfaithful to him. I'm sure that hurt Hosea to see that. But at the same time, God is using this as an illustration of what they're doing to him. So what he was told to do is to purchase her. So he bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a half of barley. This isn't an endowment of like a marriage where you would pay the father of the bride a certain amount in order to purchase the wife for marriage, which it was the culture of that time. But this is like you bought a slave. So he purchased her like a slave. So in those days, the price of a slave was 30 shekels of silver, and apparently Hosea paid half of this in money, and then the other half he paid in grain. I'm not sure exactly why, but looks like that's what he did. So then when he purchased her, what happens now? He owns her. So it and beyond being just the wife who has been unfaithful, she is now his slave. He has purchased her life for a price. This is starting to sound familiar now, right? In the same way, Jesus Christ is going to come 
and he is going to purchase his people with his blood. That is the payment that is due for our sin. That is the cost of our slavery. He had to die and shed his innocent blood for us. And so in the same way, this is what God is illustrating he's going to do to Israel and to his chosen people, which we are his chosen people as well. So then he, being now the master, he now commands Gomer what to do. You shall stay with me for many days. You shall not play the harlot, nor shall you have a man. But he also is kind to her, that I will also be the same toward you. Isn't that lovely? That God is going to do the same thing to us as he has always done, but now he's given us commands because he is our master? That's how it works. We are owned by Jesus Christ because he died for us. Therefore, we are to be in subjection to him, to be obedient to his command in every way. He may not be giving you new commands right now in your life, and that's fine, but you need to follow the commands that you have from him in the Bible. That's the first step. That's usually why people don't hear new commands, because they have not established the initial relationship with God. You have to be in communion with him every day, in prayer, in meditation, and in his word. And then ultimately, you need to act like a Christian. All of those things play the role that will lead you into this godly instruction. We need to act in obedience with God's word every day without fail, whether we feel like it or not. There is no, well, I don't feel like it today. I'm going to have a cheat day and I'm going to go ahead and do some sin and stuff like that. No, there's no more of that. That is a sign of a lack of maturity. We cannot be those people. We need to be steadfast in the Lord, and we need to be in complete subjection to him. A master has complete control over his slave, and the slave doesn't have a will of his own. A slave only obeys the master or risks punishment. That's as simple as it should be for us. If we see it like that, that's how we should treat it. Then it says here in verse 4, the sons of Israel will remain for many days without king or prince. So he's going to take them into exile, as we know. Then in verse 5, Afterward, the sons of Israel will return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. Wait a minute. David's been long dead at this point. Of course, they're talking about the Messiah, Jesus Christ. God will reassemble his people and Jesus Christ will enter into the world. And they will come trembling to the Lord and to his goodness in the last days. Last days always being the end times. Chapter 4 is basically an indictment of judgment against the nation of Israel. So why are they in trouble? We already know the answer, but again, we need to review what God is saying here. In verse 2, there is swearing, deception, murder, stealing, and adultery. They employ violence so that bloodshed follows bloodshed. That sounds like the American nation right now. And we're not that far off from being judged, like we've talked about many times before. 
We are on the brink of being there, but we need to be strong in the Lord, and we need to fight against that. We need to preserve the moral holiness of God. What else have they done wrong? My people are destroyed. Why? In verse 6, for lack of knowledge, because you have rejected knowledge. I will also reject you from being my priest. My priest being a someone who is in service of him, someone who is under his banner and serves and ministers to him. Why would you want to be the priest of God if you don't act godly? That's his point. They are destroyed for lack of knowledge because they have rejected it. The wisdom of God is available to everyone. The Word of God is the most successful book ever printed. They're everywhere. You can get a copy just about anywhere. And yet, they still don't look into it and see what God has to say. And even worse, if they know what God says, they choose not to do it. And so no wonder God is upset. So, this is why Israel is being judged. They have forgotten the law of their God. And also, he says that he will forget their children. God is not so quick to abandon us, but at the same time, if he promises that he's going to abandon your children, then he's going to abandon them. And that is terrible. And that was your fault. Your sin caused your children to be forgotten. That's terrible to think about how you caused that. Ultimately, the Word of God does say that we are each accountable for our own sin, yes, but there is something about the sins of the Father that still rings true. So, there's another dimension to that that we don't really fully grasp, but that's a mystery of sin right there. Verse 12, my people consult their wooden idol, and their diviner's wand informs them, for a spirit of harlotry has led them astray. And they have played the harlot, departing from their God. They have prostituted themselves to everything that the world has to offer. Idolatry, lust, wealth, fame, all that stuff. No wonder God is going to judge them. In chapter 5, he is going to announce a verdict. He has a judgment that is going to be applied to these people. Even the priests and the kings are being condemned because they are practicing the same things. Their leadership is corrupt to the core. Like he says in verse 2, The revolters have gone deep in depravity, but I will chastise all of them. Very interesting choice of words here because they are deep in depravity. They are in their senseless barbarism, their senseless flagrant sin. Kind of like how Romans chapter 1 talks about just going into a depraved, sinful mind where you can't get out of it. Well, what does he say he's going to do? He's going to chastise all of them. That is chastening. That is disciplining them like a parent. So he's not just going to punish them. He's going to chasten them. And he only chastens those that he loves. So he still loves this nation and his people, that he's called by his name. But he intends to discipline them by sending them into exile for 70 years 
And then at the end of their 70 years, they're going to come back and they're going to worship the Lord properly. That is the intent behind this. Again, you see this at the end of chapter 5 on verse 15. I will go away and return to my place until they acknowledge their guilt and seek my face. In their affliction, they will earnestly seek me. They will be afflicted with exile and slavery in some other places. And with that, they will call out to the Lord. Just you watch, is what he's saying. He's going to leave them to go their way, but he's not going to abandon them. But he's calling for them to repent and return. They acknowledge their guilt and seek my face. That is repenting and returning, which is key to change. That is what needs to happen if we are in sin. First steps need to be repentance and returning to the Lord. So then we go to chapter 6. This one's an interesting chapter because at first it seems really interesting. You even see in verse 2 that it's a prophecy of what Jesus is going to go through. He will revive us after two days. He will raise us up on the third day. That sounds like the resurrection of Christ. So all this sounds very nice, verses 1 through 3. But then what is God's response in in verse 4? What shall I do with you, O Ephraim? What shall I do with you, O Judah? For your loyalty is like the morning cloud and like the dew which goes away early. He's calling them out for being insincere and lying. They attempted to sound righteous and make a claim that they're going to return to the Lord. But God knows the heart. And God is showing them that their heart is not for him. It is all fake. It is all lip service. They don't really mean this because they're taking advantage of God's benefits rather than who he is. And God doesn't like that. That is not what this is about. And unfortunately, that's what a lot of people in church do today. They come to church for the benefits of God, but not for God himself. They come for the peace. They come for the forgiveness. They come for the salvation. They come for the spiritual gifts. But yet they don't care about the Lord their God. They only care about what he can do for them. And that's terrible. That makes him just a holy force of some kind and a worldly God, just like all these other religions instead of being the one true God who deserves all our praise and glory. So that's what he does. He calls them out for their hypocrisy here. And then in verse 6, he says, Look, I delight in loyalty rather than sacrifice. Don't go through your sacrificial system burning animals to me, because what I really want is your loyalty. I want the knowledge of God for you rather than burnt offerings. It's fascinating. And that is the whole point. That's why when Jesus abolishes the sacrificial system, it's not like he's reinventing the wheel here. This isn't a new concept. This has been going on since the early days, since the days of the judges, that this has been God's stance on it. We see in the, in the book of 1 Samuel this same kind of illustration that God wants 
your heart. He doesn't want your sacrifices. He doesn't want the rituals. He doesn't want the sacraments. He wants your heart. He wants you to be wholly devoted to him. And if you can't do that, and you're trying to do all these other things to earn your favor with God, it's empty religion. It is meaningless. This is what God wants. And finally, chapter 7. The problem with Israel is that they do not consider in their hearts that God remembers all their wickedness. Their deeds are all around them. Now they are before my face. God can see all of our secret sins. He knows everything that we've ever done and have ever said. He keeps track. And he will, in the final days, judge us for it. We will stand before God, saved or not. We will stand before God in judgment, and we will have to answer for ourselves why we deserve to go to heaven. And he's going to bring up every stupid thing we've ever done. Now, in the case of those who have been called by his name, we will be going to the white throne judgment of Jesus Christ, but we will be declared innocent. However, you're still going to be judged, and you're still going to be called out for all the bad things that you did. So therefore, even though we're saved, that doesn't, like the book of Romans talks about, that doesn't give us a license to sin. That doesn't give us additional freedoms to do what we want, how we want. That's exactly what Israel was doing wrong. We need to learn from the past. There are unfortunately so many entities in the world right now that are trying to erase the past. But we that's how we learn. We learn from the past. Because history was written for our learning and for our instruction. And we need to listen to the mistakes of the past and learn from them so that we can make progress as a society, but also that we can return to the Lord. Learn from your mistakes and stop going back to the repeated sins of your life. Pursue the Lord and his righteousness only, and he'll take care of everything else. That is how simple it should be. And that's all that I have for today. Thank you for listening. I'm Ryan, and we'll see you next time. Take care, and God bless you.